everybody. Welcome back to a, another edition of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball <laughs> history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me from the uh, still tinsel-strewn uh, Seattle studios is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing? Hey, you know what? I'm feeling much better than last week. I think I'm going to do a better show, but um, that's my goal every week is to do a better show than the previous week until I get to a point where I say, I can't do a better show than that, and then I'm going to retire. Hmm. Well, because, you know, some people would say last week's show, it couldn't get better than that, but I think well, I think it can. I, I think so, too. All right. Well, you know, Mark, I like to give you a, an out should you not want to talk about baseball history uh, on every show which we've done now what this is episode 48 so we've done 48. quite a bit of baseball history yeah but i got an option for you i really love to talk about this they're already burning tom brady jerseys in new england should we should we commiserate with patriot fans for the next hour or so uh, although i i find myself uh, many times on the same level as patriot fans okay i don't i have no idea what it's like for your team to win a championship um, I, I don't think they need any co-commiseration. So let's let's do the baseball thing. So uh, unfortunate news last week. I'm sure if you follow baseball, you saw this, that Don Larson passed away last week. Don Larson, of course, authored the only perfect game in World Series history. He did that in Game 5 back in 1956 for the New York Yankees. I saw something really interesting uh, on Twitter, though. Keith Olbermann, who beyond being an animal lover is also a, a baseball history nut which is cool he's a baseball card collector and this is something he noticed he was listening this sounds like something we would do mark he was listening to a replay of that perfect game from 1956 nice. and he caught something that mel allen of course mel allen the longtime radio voice of the yankees also uh, the host of this week in baseball which you know his voice is just great, unmistakable, kind of like Vin Scully. You know very, exactly who it is. Very legendary voice, absolutely. It is. A great classic baseball voice. Well, Mel Allen inadvertently said something that I hadn't seen anybody comment on before and didn't know about, but Keith Olbermann caught it. And he said that Mel Allen said that one of the reasons that the perfect game happened was that the Yankees had removed the batter's eye that day to sell more bleacher seats. So... Huh. Of course, back in 1956, all playoff games, especially World Series games, took place in the day because that's just I mean, that was that way until the the early 80s. I think everything yeah. was still played in the day for the playoffs. But just like I think Fenway might be the only park that still does this. They have a different seating configuration for day and night games. In day games, they put the batter's eye, they extend it in the outfield because people tend to wear lighter colored shirts during day games because it's, you know, it's hot, the sun. And that makes it harder for batters to see the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. And then at night, they sell them, you know, they sell all those because you're, you're playing a night game. But this is, uh, you know, Keith Olbermann saying that they removed that batter's eye for a day game in the World Series, and that might have aided, not that Don Larson needed a lot of aid, but that might have contributed to the only perfect game in World Series history. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. Uh, next thing I found, uh, music-related. This is something I had zero, I, I had never heard this before. Uh, obviously, I am usually bring up things I hadn't heard before. Are you familiar with the Go-Go's song, Turn to You? 
absolutely. It's a, a single put out in 1984. Of course, the Go-Go's, an all-female pop band, uh, Belinda Carlisle, Jane Weedlin, probably the two best-known members of the group. Well, uh, it was also uh, Charlotte Caffey was a member of that group. And Charlotte Caffey, at one time, dated Bob Welch. Whoa! The, you know, longtime pitching coach, yeah. uh, longtime pitcher for the Dodgers, the A's, of course, is where I know him best. Well, this song was uh, was written about him and their kind of brief relationship that they had. Bob Welch had a pretty well-known struggle with alcohol throughout his career, and it apparently affected their relationship as well. But uh, Charlotte Caffey said, I really enjoyed his company. Uh, one of the songs on this album was written about him, Turn to You. It was really close to my heart. We were on tour with Vacation, and I wrote about him because he really touched me, and I thought he was a great guy. So I I had no idea that that I, clearly was written about Bob Welch. So, so now we know that Turn to You by the Go-Go's is about Bob Welch. It's about Bob Welch, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last thing that I saw that I thought was kind of cool. This is from, and I'm sure you caught this when it came out. This is from The Sporting Life, December 19th, 1891. I remember that episode, or that issue. <laughs> this, this, yeah, this issue was a, was a classic when it came out. It really well, there was. is a story here. What is one of the things that people that watch baseball constantly argue about and have done so for the past 40 years it's the designated hitter, of whether course. it's a good thing, blah, 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 strategy. Oh, I can't watch American League. I can't watch National League. Uh, so, I, you know, of course, I think I've made note that I fall into the I love the DH pool. I, I just National League baseball is not that interesting to me. I, I think you're in the same, you know, the same frame of mind, but I'll, I'll let you speak to where you stand on this. Well, I was raised a strict no DH list. Um, so, uh, but I have, I've really come around with, uh, the, the appearance of some great hitters who we wouldn't have been able to see without the DH. Like Bartolo Colon. Like Bartolo's Colon and, uh, Edgar Martinez and, uh, Buddy Biancolana. <laughs> Buddy Biancolana. We need to work him into every single episode from <laughs> now on. <laughs> So let me read you a paragraph from this article in 1891. This is a quote. Every patron of the game is conversant with the utter worthlessness of the average pitcher when he comes up to try and hit a ball. It is most invariably a trial and an unsuccessful one at that. If fortune does him a favor with a base hit, it is 10 to 1 that he is so winded in getting to first or second base on it that when he goes Back to the pitcher's mound, it is a matter of very little difficulty to pound him all over creation. <laughs> so not only are they saying <laughs> they're not good hitters, but should they actually get on base, they're so out of shape that they won't be able to pitch the next half inning and they'll get pounded. Both, both excellent points. Somebody making an argument for the designated hitter in the 1800s. That's impressive. <laughs> 1891, this kind of language is being used. 
That's that's what? That's about 80 years before the DH actually went into into practice. But I thought that was pretty funny. See, folks, who else is going to tell you this stuff? Who else is combing 1891 Sporting Life articles? <laughs> Uh, you know, there was a really good one in there about uh, Polo, I believe. <laughs> Marco Polo? <laughs> no, no, no. It was uh, it was about, you know, I mean, don't you own a horse, a polo pony and all that stuff? Uh, Is that someone no. else I'm thinking of? Oh, okay, that never mind. must be someone. Yeah. But, you know, that does give, maybe we should do a Marco Polo, competitive Marco Polo podcast. Ooh, that, yeah, that may be fun. Do it through uh, Wi-Fi to be anywhere in the world. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'll mark that down for later exploration. All right. So it is. this is our first show of the new year. Happy 2020. Um, Happy 2020 to you too, sir. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting one already, just a couple of days in. But, of course, new year, new year's resolutions. I thought it might be interesting if we both came up with a new year's baseball resolution. Um I've I've got mine figured out. What uh, what what are, what are you going to do? I'm going to let you go first. What what's your New Year's baseball resolution? Well, I decided that I need to resolve to pay more attention to National League baseball. I I don't know enough. I do a podcast about baseball, and I don't know enough about the National League. So that's my resolution. That was 100 percent the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. The Padres have done a lot this offseason. They got yes. some young guys. Probably need to pay attention to them. But beyond that, yeah, I was like, I, I, I'm probably just. I need to watch a couple more National League games just for fun. So I, I yeah, like I said, it, that was one thing that came to my mind. But I, I decided I landed on on this one. I am going to when I travel. I'm going to take more time to seek out baseball history landmarks and and locations and stuff. Nice. So, I mean, I've got I've got a baseball trip planned for this year. We're gonna go to we're gonna go to Fenway, then we're gonna drive to Cooperstown for a day, and then we're gonna go and go to New York and go to Yankees games. Oh man, so that's awesome. That you know that'll kind of take care of itself. But like I've I've already decided when I'm in Boston, I'm gonna I'm gonna seek out where the South End grounds used to be. Uh, when we're in New York, I'm definitely gonna seek out where the Polo Grounds and Ebbets Field used to be. I'm going to just kind of take some time to, to find some of these things that we talk about. And I go to these cities, but I, I, I have just ignored them. And I'm going to I'm going to change that. That sounds like fun, man. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, OK, so let's uh, hit our last segment during our BP. Uh, this is, uh, again, during the regular season, our, our debuts, birthdays kind of segment. But since it is the off season, we are Every week, we're covering one minor league team that the uh, that the MLB has threatened to disassociate, to disenfranchise, to basically ignore uh, if they can. And this week's uh, team is the Burlington Bees. The so bees. the the Bees are a Class A affiliate of the Angels. So there's a lot of letters going on there. Uh, Burlington is a city in Iowa. It is the county seat of Des Moines. Um, it's a pretty small city. Uh, pretty, uh, the population is only 25,000 people. But they've got this uh, Class A team that has been there, get this, since 1889. Wow. So it's another one of these, these uh, teams that has been in a city for a very long time, similar to Chattanooga from last week. Right. 
So when they came into being in 1889, they were known as the Burlington Babies, which <laughs> I would love for them to go back to that. <laughs> Times have changed. I can't <laughs> see that being a moniker these days. <laughs> I would love it, though. You could have a crying baby on your hat. It's a great logo. Be known as a whiny team, though. Yeah. Yeah, what? I mean, we got the Red Sox already. Oh, uh, that was that was. I should be nicer to Red Sox and Yankees. That's another thing. I yes, the Yankees, aka the Bronx Whiners. Uh, so eventually, they became the Burlington Bees. Uh, they played in the Mississippi Valley League starting in 1924. They eventually became the Burlington Indians in 1947 and that was the same year that the stadium that they currently play in community field opened so they've been in the same stadium since 1947 wow uh, they've done a lot of of updates to the stadium since then i might mention especially in the last decade or so they've spent millions of dollars to update the stadium which i think is one of the things that mlb is complaining about that some of these stadiums have old facilities but they're still being maintained They've been an Angels affiliate since 2013, and literally, they, you know, as you can imagine, having been around since 1889, they've been affiliated at some point with just about every club in Major League Baseball. A couple of Hall of Famers have uh, played there, Billy Williams of Cubs fame and Paul Molitor of... Wow. When you think of Molitor, I, I mean, I think Brewers more than so Twins. But. Yeah. Other players that have uh, made it to the big leagues of note that have played in Burlington, Sal Bando and Vida Blue, both coming nice. up to the A's. Scrap Iron, Phil Garner was there. Hopefully future Hall of Famer Larry Walker played there. Uh, Ruben Sierra, Javi Lopez of wow. the Braves that we mentioned just a couple of uh, episodes ago. And current players for the Royals, oh, not I guess not current for the Royals, Mike Moustakis and uh, Salvador Perez, who is still with the Royals. Uh, currently managed by Jack Howell. You remember Not Jack him. Howell, the California sure. Angels? Yeah. And uh, their general manager is Kim Parker, who is uh, unfortunately one of the few women in the front office of Major League Baseball, but she is the general manager. She's been working uh, with the Burlington Bees since she was 18 years old and was just named the Rawlings Female Minor League Executive of the Year. That's awesome. Uh, just some colorful history of things that you could do if you uh, happen to go to a game at Community Field. Uh, you can snack on something called the Lippy Dog, which is a must-have if you go to a game on Thursday, uh, between Thursday or Sunday. It's a giant fried chicken tenderloin that is dipped in buffalo sauce and then served on a hot dog bun with either blue cheese or ranch dressing. Okay, that sounds perfect for me. I'm a big buffalo wings guy. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. Sounds amazing. I am I am in with that. Uh, the lippy dog is the beast take on the chicken lip. There's a lot of lips going on here. The same item is also served on a stick instead of a bun throughout the state. And it's only $5 and it cannot be found any in any other stadium in the country. Wow. That's awesome. Now, I do not like meat products served on a stick, so I'm going to go with the bun option. <laughs> I'm going to go with one of each, man. <laughs> Double fist that. Right. Uh, also, there's somebody named Dancing Bobby 
that you got to look out for if you go to a Burlington Bees game. He dances to every song that is played over the PA system. I've got some video. I'll link it in the show notes if you want to see it. Uh, this is the, the video that I'm going to link is from when they were an A's affiliate because he's wearing green and gold. So I'm Hold down old. with that. Dancing Bobby. Dancing Bobby. All right. So uh, that'll do it for our hopefully stick around minor league teams. Uh, we did start a new segment last week that we called things that make you say, mm, do I really care? I think I've changed it. I think the name of the segment is now going to be things that make you say, mm, I should Google that. A little bit more positive. So last week I asked from uh, 1980 through 1999, who led the league in games played as a catcher? Yes. You have you have any thoughts on this? Who that's that's a pretty big time period. Yeah, my I I had a guess, and I intentionally did not look it up, so I very well could be wrong. Um, But I was going to guess Carlton Fisk. Uh, Carlton Fisk did not make the top two. I have I only listed the top two. I didn't okay. remember. Right? He's not in the top two. <laughs> He's not in the top two. Uh, leader in the clubhouse from 1980 through 1999, Tony Pena caught 1,988 uh, games. Sure, that makes sense. And now my theory is because of his unique catching stance where he would often just sit on the ground, it saved his knees so that he could catch more often. That's definitely a possibility. He, if you haven't seen it, folks, take a use the Google machine and take a look. It's pretty fun. He's uh, he kind of does the splits a little bit, keeps his right leg out behind him, and uh, it, easier on the knees overall, I, I would imagine. But he had a good arm because he oh, could still did. throw runners out from sitting on his butt. Yeah, he was he was a fantastic backstop. So second place was Lance Parrish, who I believe we've brought him up once or twice as well, just like Tony Pena. But remember, Pena caught 1,988 games. Lance Parrish, who was in second place, only caught 1,748. So that's that's 220 games less. Or no, 240 games less. That's quite a bit. That's that's a season and a half that Tony Pena caught more than anybody else during those two decades. That's amazing. All right, so now that leads us to our next question that we will answer next week. Now, Mark, you are covering a specific year this yes. week. You're you're covering 1999 because you're a big Prince fan. Oh, so, huge! So, <laughs> I have uh, I've got a question here related to 1999. All right. Uh, so the question is, and again, we'll reveal the answer next week. So this is this is a cliffhanger. Which rookie? led Major League Baseball in wins in 1999. I actually know this. So I, do. All right. I won't say. <laughs> it's a, it's an impressive total. It is. Uh, John Rocker was a rookie this year, but it was not him, thankfully. But uh, there you have it. So come back next week. Which rookie led Major League Baseball in wins in 1999? <laughs> now, this is part of my notes, so I guess I should skip that part. Oh, wow. I talked well, about rookies... Uh, I'm going to talk about rookies, uh, but I, I can I can dance around it. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll, do, we'll just go with the flow. See what you see what you come up with. So, yeah. uh, with that, let's wrap up BP and Mark. It is uh, this was originally going to be your topic last week, but you were you were ill and uh, sounded like uh, sounded like you were 
not too happy to want to talk too long about any subject. So we've saved it for this week. And you're going to tell us all about the 1999 season. Yeah, I was going for like an iconic year, not necessarily in baseball, but because we just had New Year's Day, you know, and everybody screamed and yelled themselves purple the night before and uh, then woke up the next day and they still had the same bills and still had the same amount of money in their checking account, you know, so nothing actually changed, but we like to pretend it does. So I went with the biggest uh, the biggest celebration we've had for a new year. That was 1999. Um, it was an interesting year as far as Y2K goes. Everybody thought that everything was going to uh, error out. Computers were going to go completely frazzled. And I think uh, there was maybe one incident in Terre Haute, Indiana, and nothing <laughs> happened. Now, now, question. Did you? I I did. I didn't think anything was going to happen, but I did turn my computer off about 10 minutes before the new year. Yeah, I had mine off for the for the evening. And uh, I stayed away from any electrical outlets. <laughs> you went down I have in, no in, idea the, why. in the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, so I, I decided let's let's talk about let's recap the 1999 season. So they were coming out. Baseball's coming out of a horrible season in 1998. Terrible season. And I say that because the Yankees won the World Series <laughs> in '98. They beat the Padres in four straight games. It was not a fun World Series to watch, unless you're a Yankees fan and then, you know, good for you. Uh, There were some, we were introduced to some pretty good players in 99. There were some talented rookies. The Royals sent out a guy who ended his career with a 69.6 war. And in 99, his rookie year, he would hit 293, 22 home runs, 108 runs batted in, and stole 27 bases. Any idea who I'm talking about? I do, because I did some research for that question. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I believe he is a freshly minted manager for the New York Mets. You got it, man. So Carlos Beltran, with uh, an amazing rookie season, went on to have an amazing career. Uh, 99 also saw some other rookies, Torrey Hunter, a guy named Raul Abanez, who I became a big fan of. And then, you, dude, you might have heard of this guy, Eric Chavez. Ah, Eric Chavez, yes. So some pretty good rookies. And uh, something happened that uh, previous offseason that I remember being bothered by, and that was the debut of a guy named J.D. Drew. You remember this whole story? He had been drafted thrice, three times. Usually it's not unusual to see someone drafted twice, once out of high school and then again out of college. And so he was drafted in that manner. He was drafted out of high school by the Giants and then three years later by the Phillies. And sat out the entire season instead of playing due to contract disagreements. And I remember that really bugged me. And that was, you know, I, I'm, I'm just like a typical fan. I'm going, come on, you know, you're getting a chance to play for millions of dollars and you're going to sit out early. You're going to miss an entire year of your career. And it was, you know, he's a Scott Boris client. So, and I, we've said on here a million times that Scott Boris is not good for baseball. And of course he said, Drew was not going to sign for under $10 million. And he sat out. He missed an entire season. And he re-entered the draft the next year, and he signed, did sign with the Cardinals for uh, four years and $9 million. But uh, I remember that being a story and me being like, you can't, you can't just take $8.5 million? I don't know. It was a sad story. It was unfortunate to see um, money take such a big uh, chunk out of a guy's career like that. Anyway, going on to more positive things. In the National League, your Rookie of the Year was Scott Williamson of the Cincinnati Reds. 
who was uh, given the award over a guy named Roy Halliday and uh, a pitcher who won a number of games that year, who I'm not going to mention because he's a trivia quiz. <laughs> so Scott Williamson, yeah, yes. Scott Williamson is, you, you know, our question of who led the major league rookies and wins in 99 is this person we're not going to name, but Scott Williamson was second with 12 wins, but he had 19 saves as well. He, did. he had, he had a dozen wins and 19 saves. So he was right in the thick of things. He was, you know, it made sense to give him the, the rookie of the year award. There, there were some yeah. good rookies out there though. Uh, here's interesting. This is when, because we were talking about how in the eighties, it was more of a pitcher's era. 99 was the first time in 49 years that a team scored over a thousand runs in a season. So the Cleveland Indians scored 1,009 runs in 1999. They had four players on their team with a hundred runs batted in. You remember that team? They were just talented, just top to bottom. All right. So four, four guys with a hundred plus RBIs on that team. I'm yes. I'm going to guess well, I'm, my first guess was Albert Bell, but I'm not sure if he was on that team anymore. He was and, not on that team. Okay, well, there goes that. I'm going to guess. I, I don't know if Carlos Bayerga was on that team anymore. Cheese Bayerga was on the team, but only had 63 plate appearances that year. Oh, oh, well, then he's certainly not going to drive in 100. Uh, Jim Tomei, I'm, I know, was on Boom. the team that year. Yes, Jim Tomei drove in 108 runs. And I don't... I, I, if if Bell and Bayerga weren't on that list, I'm not sure. I'm sure Kenny Lofton didn't drive in that many runs. Now, uh, uh, Manny Ramirez had 165 ribbies. Out oh, here. that's right, Manny. And good production out of your second baseman, Roberto Alomar, with 120 RBIs. Oh, Robbie Alomar. All and right. the one that no one's going to think of, because I couldn't, Richie Sexton. Yes, Mariners, Mariners legend Richie Sexton. <laughs> 31 home runs, 116 RBIs. Was that his final year with the Indians, and then he then he went to the Mariners with probably for big money? I believe so. Yeah, and he came here and had I think he had one decent year, and then bat speed. I was going to say caught up with him, but it's the opposite. So. <laughs> but anyway, the Indians were a really good team. It was a very high offense here. Just to to give you an idea, though, compared to nowadays, okay, there was five thousand two hundred twenty eight home runs in ninety nine. Okay, in twenty nineteen. 6,776 home runs. Yeah. So major, major League Baseball found a way that the players didn't have to juice this year. Yes, that's right. Almost 1,200 more home runs hit this Jeez. season. And uh, it, actually, the previous record was set in 2017. And in 2019, there was they hit 671 more home runs than the previous record in 17. So 99, of course, we did the, the episode on 98 a couple of uh, well, a couple of months ago, but I mean, 99, McGuire and Sosa were still going at it. Oh, sure. And, and you know, the usual cast of characters from 98, Griffey, and I don't see Bonds. Bond must have been hurt that year. I didn't see a whole lot about Barry Bonds. Uh, then again, I kind of avoid him a little bit. I just sorted by home runs for 1999, and he is not in the top 30. So I'm going to assume that he probably missed most of the year. So your division winners that year in the AL were the Yankees, who won 98 games, the Indians, who won 97 games, and the Texas Rangers, who won 95 games. In the National League, we saw two teams win 100 games. The Braves were 103-59, and 59, and the Diamondbacks were 162. The Astros won the other division. 
uh, 97 wins with 65 losses. So those are division winners. The wild card in the AL was the Red, the Red Sox. And the wild card in the NL, the Mets defeated the Reds in a one-game tiebreaker. So they played 163 games each. And the mm. Mets won uh, that game and ended up with a record of 97 and 66 as opposed to Cincinnati, who finished 96 and 67. I remember that that Braves team. This was the first year I worked full time for the Braves. Oh man, it was I 99. Bet, I bet some craziness went on. It was it was fun sitting right behind Avi Lopez, seeing you know Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox Shoot. pitching every day, yeah. and yeah, that was I, I remember that season very well. No doubt. Yeah, that was that was a fun year. That's part of the reason I wanted to talk about this. In the uh, the Yankees did defeat Texas and Boston actually advanced and the Yankees defeated Boston to go to the World Series. The Braves went to the World Series through the Diamondbacks and Mets. And unfortunately, the Yankees dominated the postseason once again by sweeping the Braves in four straight to win their second consecutive World Series and eight straight World Series games. Got to give them credit. That was uh, impressive. I remember that. I remember that very well. I remember that was because that was the, my first World Series that I ever went to. Oh, there you go. So just now I got I just have a list of some interesting things that happened in 99. Uh, April 4th was the first regular season game ever played outside the U.S. or Canada. The Rockies opened the season by playing the San Diego Padres in Monterey, Mexico. They have followed that tradition since then with uh, other games overseas. A lot of them. Yeah, I think they I think they returned to Monterey. Uh, somebody, I, I forget who, I think it might have been the Padres played Monterey this year, and then the usual games in Puerto Rico, and, and yep. of course Japan, and, and London. And, and My Europe, God, they yeah. played everywhere, huh? <laughs> yeah. So that was when it all started, so that's kind of cool. Uh, April 19th, something happened that uh, everybody knew eventually would happen, but nobody wanted to uh, to try and predict when. The Baltimore Orioles' Cal Ripken Jr. was placed on the disabled list. For the first time in his 19-year career. So his uh, consecutive game streak ended in September 98 at 2,632. And then he hit the DL in 99. He, he was the Iron Man for a long, long time. And then like reality set in. Or, well, there wasn't a lot of reality with him. Do you remember who took his place at third uh, base? Wally Pip. Wally Wally no that is oh. that is incorrect oh. ryan minor oh, okay ryan minor how'd you like to be that yeah, at least you're an answer to a trivia question at that point yeah i mean i think i i'm fairly certain that ryan minor i thought he had some connection to washington state and that's why i hmm. always remember him beyond being the guy that replaced kyle ripkin yes nice but um, i i couldn't tell you it. I, I'm looking at his baseball reference page, and apparently he did not. He went to the University of Oklahoma, so I have no idea why I remember Ryan Miner. Ryan Miner had once heard of uh, Washington State University. Once had to name the state yes. capital of Washington in elementary <laughs> school. Uh, the the day after the 19th, when Ripken went on to the DL, something very exciting and good for baseball happened. Cincinnati Reds owner Marge Schott agrees to oh. sell her controlling interest in the Reds, ending her 14-year rule of terror. <laughs> Do you remember her dog's name? 
Uh, Shotzi, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, her dog. I and for those of you who don't remember, she had a. It was a Saint Bernard, wasn't it? It was yeah, a big, was a big dog, big. and she would, she would, it would go everywhere with her. It would go on the field, and of course, this is when uh, they had at Riverfront Stadium there the astroturf, and it would go and do its business on the field, and the grounds crew uh-huh. loved it. Oh yeah, sure. they were real happy about it. Yeah, she was. Um, to be kind and interesting individual. Oh, she was no, she was a racist. She was, she was uh, not a terrible. She was not a nice person. Yeah. No, she she everybody was happy when Marge shot sold the team. She just she was one of those owners that was always meddling and being no you said not a good person. Yeah, I mean George Steinbrenner was a kind of a villain, but I mean Marge shot was just a she was not a good person. She was yeah. racist. Now, here's something for you. April 20th, also April 20th. Yes, the Nolan Ryan Museum opened in Alvin, Texas. Never heard of him. Oh, oh he was a pitcher uh, <laughs> for a couple different teams. <laughs> I so, am I am, I am, am vaguely familiar with this Nolan all right. Ryan. All right. And then April 23rd, something happened that we have spoken about a number of times, I believe. The St. Louis Cardinals defeat the Los Angeles Dodgers 12-5. to In the game, third baseman Fernando Tatis sets a major league record by hitting two grand slams in a single inning. Just for for uh, you younger kids, that's Fernando Tatis Jr.'s father. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's big Fernando. And Fernando Jr. is little Fernando, even though it's we're not talking about size, we're talking about age, I imagine. His two home runs come in uh, the 11-run third inning, and uh, he gets eight RBIs in the inning, which is a record, and Dodgers pitchers Chan Ho Park became the first 20th century pitcher and the second pitcher ever to give up two grand slams in one inning. Now, I, Chan Ho Park, I remember mostly when he was with the Dodgers getting in a brawl and unleashing a powerful roundhouse oh, kick. That's right. He did. He did. It was like a martial arts, like jump in the air and kick and like, whoa, what was that? I don't think I'm going to charge the mound with him out there. Well, I, I don't believe he connected, but he I mean, anybody kicking when you're wearing spikes, that's Yeah, I just remember it being be scary looking. On May 3rd, Jeff Kent got five hits for the Giants, hit for the cycle. And the uh, Pirates defeated the Giants nine to eight. So it wasn't enough. Kent did his best. Here's, and then I'm sure I'm sure he retired to the clubhouse where he and Barry Bonds uh, ignored each other. That's right, exactly. Here's something interesting: the Reds beat the Rockies in May, uh, twenty-four to twelve. They got twenty-eight hits in the process. This was I'm in guess Colorado. That was at course, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got it. Thirty-six runs is a Coors Field record. Jeffrey Hammonds hit three home runs for Cincinnati. Seven players in the Reds lineup get three or more hits apiece. Sean Casey hits a pair of three-run home runs to drive in six runs and reaches base in all seven plate appearances, tying the 20th century record. The 36 runs scored in the contest is the third highest total in the major leagues since the turn of the 20th century. 81 total bases set a new major league record, and Mike Cameron tied a major league mark with eight plate appearances in a nine-inning game. What was the time of game? Do That's we know? a good question. I don't know, but that I now I want to know. <laughs> the time of game was three hours and forty three minutes, which is shorter than a lot of games I've worked. That's that's funny. I, I would I was thinking four and a half hours or something. Hmm. Interesting. Must have been a fun one to be at. Oh, well, actually not because if you're a Rockies fan, that wouldn't have been fun. 
May 26th, in one of the most heartbreaking moments in baseball history, during the third inning, Devil Rays starting pitcher Tony Saunders breaks and tears ligaments in his arm while pitching to Rafael Palmero. You remember that? I do, because it reminded me of Dave Dravecki, which yes. was obviously even worse. Yes, but exactly. But I remember, because it, 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 that just, it, it, the Dave Dravecki thing I still see in my mind, and it gives oh, me yeah. kind of cringe. The, you know, the human ouch. arm is, is not meant to throw a baseball. So no. that's why you're a freak of nature if you can throw it 100 miles an hour. It, the sad thing is he did make a comeback attempt. He made it to the big leagues. or He, he was going to make it to the big leagues. He had a rehab assignment, and he broke his arm again. So it didn't quite work out. So a sad day. Here's something for you. This goes well with our general theme, the uh, baseball history. Hack Wilson got another RBI in 1999. <laughs> so he, Hack Wilson at one point was the, the leader for a single season RBIs. Yes. And, but Hack Wilson, wait, I'm not even sure when Hack Wilson played, but it was definitely not in the uh, 1990s. No, Hack Wilson played in the, in the 30s. And uh, 69 <laughs> years after his, after his uh, big 1930 season, they uh, discovered there was an extra RBI. And so he went from 190 RBIs that year to 191. 69 years later, the guy got an RBI. How about that? Now that's a hitter. How about Hack Wilson's 1930 season when he, he hit 356, drove in 191, hit 56 home runs, Goodness. and didn't get a single MVP vote? That's ridiculous. <laughs> An OPS plus of 177 as the center fielder. Oh, my Lord. For the Chicago Cubs. And nobody like, eh. Yeah. What a season, though. My gosh. Uh, yeah. Also, they found six additional walks for Babe Ruth that year. <laughs> so he went from 2056 walks career to 2062. Interestingly, the uh, July 9th, the uniform that Lou Gehrig wore made his luckiest man on earth speech. Mm-hmm. In 1939, sold at auction for, you want to take a guess? Oh, in 1999? I yeah. I have no idea what, what memorabilia went for then. $450,000. Oh, I was going to guess a million plus. But. Yeah, 450000 actually specifically 451541 And it was purchased by a South Florida man who did not want his name made public. Um, the same year, and it might have been the same auction, Carlton Fisk's home run ball from game six of the 79 World Series also sold, and that sold for $113,000. Those sound like bargains to me. Yeah, no kidding. If I had the money, I'd, uh, I would have bid on it. Of course, they would have passed me up. I, I would have stopped at 30 bucks. <laughs> um, the most important event of 1999 happened on July 15th. That was my debut in the major leagues. Outdoor baseball mm. returned to Seattle. Mariners opened Safeco Field. So we both kind of made the majors in 1999. That's right. That's right. We uh, Our careers paralleled. <laughs> and in some manner, still parallel. <laughs> <laughs> Big uh, show favorite here, Tony Gwynn in August. Got his 3,000th hit. Nice. And uh, off of Dan Smith of the Montreal Expos. And then one day later, Wade Boggs gets his 3,000th hit, which was a What's home it? run. Wasn't, was it a home run or was it a grand slam? That, it might have been a grand slam. My notes say a home run. So, for the, and He Boggs, was with the Devil Rays at that point. He was. So Gwyn and Boggs both got their 3,000th hit within 
one day of each other, which is pretty awesome because their their careers were just right alongside each other as well. Two of the greatest hitters of the eighties and oh yes, one of the you know one National League, one American League, and and they both were incredibly hard to get out. Yep. Uh, September eighteenth, Sammy Sosa hit his sixtieth home run of the year. He became the first major leaguer to hit sixty home runs twice. So you know, aided and abetted by very strong muscles. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, Mark McGuire on September 26th, just eight days later, he hit his 60th home run of the season. So that was his 60th home run. Mark, he hit twice. Uh, he would end the season with 147 RBIs on 145 hits. Uh, he's the only player in Major League Baseball history to have more RBIs than hits. The closest was Jay Buhner in 95, who had 121 RBIs and 123 hits. We also also might mention uh, Mark McGuire in 1999 uh, made a guest appearance on one of my favorite shows of all time, Mad About You. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. He was uh, wearing only a towel. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to leave it there. And uh, actually, the season finished with McGuire having 65 home runs and Sammy Sosa was 63. So McGuire won that home run battle. Uh, September 30th. The Dodgers defeat the Sandy, San Francisco Giants in the final game ever played at Candlestick Park. That was a sad day, but uh, things moved on. Uh, you've been to the new park. I've been to the new park. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've I've been to I've been to the old park as well. That's where I went to my very first professional baseball game, and See? it was not a great place to watch a game. A lot of a lot of wind and a lot of cold. Yeah, yeah, it was, but it was a classic, uh, legendary place. It's a little more fun, a little more relaxing. It's fun to look back on it. it it's it. fun to look back and reminisce about it. It would not be as much fun to watch a game there. That's it. In, um, October 9th, the Astros played their last game in the Houston Astrodome, and they moved on to what was then Enron Field in downtown. Enron Field. <laughs> Enron last, lost their naming rights when they lost everything. So it's a, That's a whole story for a different podcast. But uh, that was their last season in the Astrodome, again, fortunately. Uh, Hall of Fame inductees in 99, not bad. How about George Brett, Robin Yunt, Nolan Ryan, and Orlando Cepeda? Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that, I that mean, is that's, a great... <laughs> if you give me those four players and just a bunch of scrubs, I yeah. will <laughs> put my money on that team. It was, it was a fantastic year for the Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. Give, give me those four players and the rest, a uh, team of Garth Iorgs, and I will, I will put my money on them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's a pretty cool class, class of 99. And, oh, and then just because I always have sad endings, in 99, we lost a few players, uh, passed away Joe DiMaggio. Pee Wee Reese, Catfish Hunter, and the legendary Max Patkin. Oh, well, that, that's another team that I would put with uh, Give Me Some Garth Iorgs. <laughs> yeah, and okay. you've got three great players and an incredible base coach. Yes, and my final note, because we have listeners in Japan, in 99, in the Nippon Professional Baseball League, the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks defeated the Chunichi Dragons in five games, winning the 50th, number 50, Japan Series. So I think uh, I think the, the the Hawks won the Climax Series this year as well. There you go. So that, that was kind of my wrap-up of 99. I, I remember it fairly well, but uh, going back and, and going through and reminiscing about it was pretty fun. Yeah, that was... Uh, I didn't realize that we both 
kind of debuted in the uh, working for big league teams on the, yeah. the same year. That's pretty funny. Probably had the same year rookie card too. <laughs> well, that was great. Yeah, 1999 is. Uh, I think it was uh, is. You know, as we talked about in our 98 episode, PEDs is really kind of still the main topic when you go back and look at these seasons and some of the incredible numbers that were put up. But that was fun going through those individual games yeah. and remembering some of those guys. Yeah, I sort of danced around the PEDs uh, and just stuck. But yeah, it was a, a huge issue and a huge negative in baseball history. It was funny because I've been, you know, posting on social media for the last week our our 1980s retrospective, and instead yeah. of uh, PEDs, it was still Greenies at that point was the <laughs> uh, was the uh, clubhouse, uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Oh yes, good good stuff, good job. Thanks. And uh, yeah, 1999, it was a, it was a party all year. It was. All right, so uh, now we're going to wrap up that segment and we're going to head into one of our most popular segments. We like to look at some old baseball cards, like to reminisce a little bit, and uh, it's a segment that we like to call, and so we do, Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull the Wax Pack Heroes! All right, so in this segment, we take a couple of uh, Wax Packs, generally from the... uh, late 80s early 90s we open them up we assign a value to each card and see which of the two of us can come up with the you know biggest retirement fund out of the two of us Uh, we do have a couple of extra rules Uh, one if the card is a hall of famer you get an extra five cents if the player is sporting a lip brush aka a mustache there's one cent extra new rules that we've implemented in the last uh, last episode if they are wearing real stirrups you get an extra cent and if they are wearing fake two-in-one stirrups you get a minus one cent we had our first minus one cent card last week but, yes we uh, did <laughs> that's last, uh, week, last week was a battle i mean it was a it was a comeback that i lost but it was still i can acknowledge it was a heck of a game yeah, that was a that was a big. I had nothing until I pulled that Griffey rookie. Or, it wasn't a rookie, but a, a Griffey second or third year card, yep. and uh, pulled it out late. So the standings right now, I'm I'm up nine to eight. Yes. So we'll see where this goes. Today we are going to be opening some 1988 scorecards. These are one of my favorite sets because uh, the pictures are just incredible. I really, really like it. Uh, we are, of course, using a May 1992 Beckett Baseball Card Monthly so that we have some value to these cards. Uh, we do uh, put these up on YouTube when I can get around to it. I know I'm a week or two behind, so I apologize for that. But uh, you can uh, check out the show notes. There'll be a link to our YouTube channel as well. A uh, little bit different camera angle today having some problems with the camera rig, so a little bit lower angle. So I'll have to show you the cards a little bit differently. But Mark, I've got uh, two packs here of 1988 score, one in my left hand, one in my right hand. I'm going to give you the option of uh, choosing the one. I'm going to go with the right hand. Okay, you want the one in the right hand. I'm going to give you another option. I'm going to say, do you want me to open your pack first, or do you want to open your pack second? Yeah, I'd like to go. I'd like to be the home team this time. Okay, because I I realize that I I always open mine last. Yeah, that'd be fun. You know, a little switch off for me. Uh, Break the monotony. All right. So, of course, this is, uh, we're playing Wax Packs Heroes, but, of course, Score never had Wax Packs. So I will open 
this I can see I've got an Avon Calderon in the back. So Ooh, that's bubbling Calderon. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Uh, first card. I remember seeing this card many times. He's definitely got a mustache because he's got a full beard as he always did. And uh, we talked about this guy last week. Relief pitcher for the Jeff Minnesota Reardon? Twins, Jeff Reardon. <laughs> yeah, baby. All-time saves leader at one point, Jeff Reardon. That's right. Yep. And he always did have that full beard and mustache. He did. So uh, this card is worth three cents, and he does have that mustache. So that is a four-cent card. Not a Hall of Famer. Um, No. Might have been thought of one at one point in his career, but uh, not a Hall of Famer. Next, we have got uh, center fielder for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, Lloyd Mosby. Wow, I don't remember a whole lot about Mosby. Uh, I'm sorry, I had to go back. Uh, that Jeff Rudin card, he is, uh, it's a full body shot. He is wearing real stirrups. Oh, look at that. Taking him to five cents. Yeah, that's a that's a five center. I forgot about our new role there. <laughs> uh, this Lloyd Mosby card is a great card because they're still playing, I believe, at Exhibition Stadium in 1988. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, well, no, I don't know. That might be Sky Dome. I thought Sky Dome opened like in 88. So maybe this was taken in 87. Not sure, but it's a good picture. It's an out there. The, the roof is open if it, if it is Sky Dome. Um, it's a good looking picture. Uh, Lloyd Mosby does have a mustache, most well, definitely. Lloyd scores. And uh, with this new positioning, I'm having a hard time seeing the value. That's not worth anything, but uh, he does have a mustache, so that is one cent. I'll take it. Next, we've got Kevin Alcazar. Alka Seitzer. Kevin Seitzer, yes. Messed that one up. He was a good hitter. I think he went on to be their batting coach. He uh, was. He was a a while ago. One of those guys uh, that was a righty that could hit uh, righties pretty well, I I Uh, believe. Unfortunately, uh, not any value in 1992, but he is wearing real stirrups. Well, that's good. There's another scent for me. Here we go. Our first uh, Mariner of the pack. Um, this was in the Mariners. These were my favorite. I love the Tridents, but I love the Mariners uniforms here. They just had a you know a light blue hat or helmet with a with a gold S on it. Yep. Uh, I like these uniforms. Scott Bradley. <laughs> we didn't we discuss Scott Bradley the last two shows? I think I think he has come up uh, a yeah. couple of times. He is the most discussed backup catcher. In the history of two-strike noise. <laughs> so I'm going to guess that card's not worth anything. He is wearing real stirrups, though. Ah, again, uh, a score, scoring a point from an uh, un, uh, unexpected source. Yeah, now that, uh, using my, uh, my su- uh, superpowers, I can tell, is at uh, Old Milwaukee County Stadium. Uh, because nice. I can see what the, uh, the, the fence is kind of like over by the dugout. Uh, speaking of Milwaukee County Stadium, this might have been in the same game. DH for the Brewers, Cecil Cooper. Cecil Cooper could hit. Let's see. Cecil Cooper does have a mustache. Uh, Cecil Cooper, I did not know this, debuted in 1971. Wow. So uh, <laughs> this was Coop's 16th year in the big leagues. Uh, at this point, he had hit 241 home runs, had a career batting average of 298. Yeah, he could hit, man. That's pretty I remember, impressive. I remember always being scared when he came up to bat, you know, if he was playing against one of my teams, because he, he, was, he was a tough out. 
Now I do want to compare. No, it looks like these were taken on different days. Same stadium, different days. Uh, but uh, that is worth two cents because he does have a mustache and he is wearing real stirrups. Nice. Uh, got our great moments uh, in history. Wrigley Field, October 1st, 1932. Babe Ruth's called home run, and it's called in quotes because, of course, he did not actually call it. Uh, now we've got, this is one of my, we've discussed this guy, one of our favorite kickers in Major League history. Outfielder for the Reds, even though here he is clearly playing first base, Paul O'Neill. <laughs> Oh, yes. Paul O'Neill, the man who never took a single called strike that was accurately called by the umpire. Definitely not. Uh, Also not wearing a cotton uniform here, surprisingly enough. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I thought cotton was king. (laughs) That uh, card is worth four cents, however. All right. Of course, we are referring to uh, his appearance in Seinfeld. I think we're just going to have a Seinfeld episode at some point. That's a good idea, yeah. I think that'll be fun. Uh, next, we've got Rafael Santana, shortstop for the New York Mets. Remember, he was a member of the 88 World Series team. That's right. Yep. He is wearing a mustache. He is also wearing some very nice real stirrups. I'm going to guess he is not worth anything. He Probably not, not. But that is two cents for me. This is, uh, I'm, I'm doing okay here. Good, good. I am uh, currently at 16 cents. Uh, here we go. Another guy we've discussed many times, the wearer of mustaches, outfielder for the Minnesota Twins, the later went on San Francisco Giants, Dan Gladden. Dan Gladden, sure. Yep, he was uh, he was uh, kind of a smaller guy, but he was quick, if I remember right. He was a big fan of the mullet as well. Oh, yeah. His entire career. This was this was mullet central time here, folks. Either a mullet or, or a mustache, or if you're Dan Gladden, both. One of those rat tails, too, that used to come off the oh, back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, we've got pitcher for the San Diego Padres wearing their brown and orange jerseys, Mark Davis. Mark Davis, wow. Drawing a blank. Uh, we talked about him the other uh, the other episode because I, I questioned, is that Mark Davis or Storm Davis? Oh, that's this right. This is Mark Davis. He is wearing some real stirrups. That's the only value I'm going to get out of that card. Next pitcher, uh, lefty for the Montreal Expos, Bob McClure. Wow. Um, we've we've had him several times and he's yeah, unremarkable. Common. The ultimate yeah. common. Yep, but he is wearing a mustache and real stirrups. I'll take it. So there's man, you got you get you're getting two points a card here. Yeah, I know. I'm 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 stringing some singles together here. Uh, next, we've got another lefty pitcher sporting real stirrups for the St. Louis Cardinals, Tim Conroy. Tim Conroy. Oh yeah, he used to be on the Carol Burnett show with uh, <laughs> he did, Harvey Corman. Didn't he do Dorf on uh, baseball? Yeah, I believe. Right. Yes. Actually, I think I'm thinking of the wrong guy. Oh, Never mind. It, yeah, yeah. So he's got a, his picture on the back has got a little porn stash, but nothing on the front. So I only get one cent there from the uh, the real stirrups. Uh, next, we've had, the, we've talked about this guy before, Ron Kittle. Oh, Ron, Mon, Pa Kittle. Sure. He uh, he came up, he was uh, like a pure power man. He was He was supposed to come up and hit 35 home runs a year. And yeah, he, so he, he, he had some pop. Yeah, he came up with the White Sox, only playing 20 games his rookie year. But after that, he went 35, 32, 28, and 21 home run-wise. So Yeah, he had a couple of big seasons. 
He has got those science teacher glasses on in the back, though. Sweet. Yeah. The, er- so the Eric Dickersons? <laughs> no, those those are sports specs, and those are a lot smaller than this. I got you. Uh, but Card is not worth anything from Beckett, but he is wearing real stirrups. And it's, uh, again, at uh, Old Milwaukee County Stadium. That's apparently where SCORE sent uh, their American League photographer. <laughs> yes. Now, this is a guy I do not know this name. Center fielder for the Cubs. Uh, wearing real stirrups. Bob Dernier. Or if he's French, Dernay. Wow. You didn't just make that up, right? I did not. I am, I am looking at it right here. That is, uh, yeah. that is a one-cent card, though, because of the stirrups. I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I do not recognize the name. I don't either. Now, uh, here we go. This guy's... This guy is uh, just retired from managing the San Francisco Giants, but is already being mentioned as possibly being a candidate should the San Diego Padres struggle to get out of the gate next year as taking over for their uh, as their manager, Bruce Bochy. Oh, catcher. No, Bruce was a yeah. Bruce was a catcher when he played. And yep. That popular trend of catchers being managers. Yep, because they, they might wear the tools of ignorance, but they generally are pretty smart. Yeah. Well, catchers catchers know hitting and pitching. Yep. So here he is wearing real stirrups, wearing a mustache, and wearing science teacher glasses. Is that going to be our next? <laughs> might have to be, yeah. <laughs> our next. <laughs> uh, Bruce Bochy, though, I don't believe that's going to be worth anything. It is not. So that's just uh, one cent or no, two cents for the mustache and the uh, and the stirrups. Oh, here we go. El Presidente. Dennis Martinez. Dennis Martinez. Here he is with the Expos. He He is is in mid-wind-up, his knee about just a couple inches below his uh, chin. Uh, This is taken at, looks like uh, we just talked about uh, Candlestick Park. Looks like that's where he is. He's wearing real stirrups. I can't tell if he's got a mustache there or not. He generally had one, but I can't can't tell so i'll just give him one cent for that and uh no value from beckett so that's just uh, one cent he pitched for the mariners for a year or two didn't he as well um if he did i don't have a real big recollection it was it it was late in his career i remember though he was there for one year uh next we've got uh maybe you i i know this guy's name i don't remember him at all on the a's tony Bernazard. Bernazard? Is that how you say it? Tony Bernazard. Yes, I know who Tony Bernazard is because he got traded for my friend Brian Dorsett, who was a catcher to, to, in, the, to the, Reds. the A's organization. No, he got traded to the Yankees. Mm. Well, this uh, I, I do not remember Tony. He was a second baseman. Uh, he does have a mustache, but that's uh, that's really it. Came up with the Expos, played with the White Sox, and then the Indians, and then to the Athletics. And then my final card is the uh, aforementioned Yvonne Calderon, who uh, here again uh, is a good-looking picture. He's got a mustache. He's got some... Wow, I want to say... Oh, I'm having a hard time determining if these are real stirrups or not. I believe they are. I can see some space in between them on his left foot. So that's a two-cent card. But You can always call in Moogie Klingman to uh, be the deciding factor on those if you need another pair of eyes. <laughs> so Yvonne Calderon will get me two cents. Not a great pack in terms of star power. 
No, but uh, lots of stirrups and mustaches. Yeah, so stirrups and mustaches got me a total of 29 cents. Not bad. That's not a bad score. It just no my my biggest one was the was the Jeff Reardon. Jeff Reardon yes. for for 5 cents. That was yep. the the biggest one that I could come up with. So, not a I'm not feeling completely comfortable with that, but uh, let's see let's see how we do now. We'll go to your pack. Oh boy, I, I I'm so excited you can cut the tension with a knife. A butter knife, even. Even. All right. So, oh boy, here we go. Uh, we've talked about this guy many times before. Howard Johnson. Hojo. Right Ho on. Joe. Switch hitter with power. Third baseman. Played on the 86 Mets. All around good player. Uh, good looking card, too. Where he's got the flip up sunglasses, real stirrups. He's, of course, got the mustache. Uh, let's see. Was Howard worth anything at this point? He was worth five cents. So oh, right, right off the bat there, you've got a seven cent card. Sweet. That's a good start. I believe we've talked about this guy, too. Keith Moreland, third baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Sure. Um, now, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit and say that those are real stirrups. But those look... Very suspect, but uh, I'll give him uh, I'll give him that no uh, no uh, facial hair. So that is one cent for you. All right. I'm just going to give you a, a clue here on this next guy. White guy rapping for a Ford truck commercial. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to remember who that was. Ford truck. Uh, Brett Saberhagen. There you go, Brett Saberhagen. <laughs> Pitcher nice. for the uh, Kansas City Royals. Nice. Cannot see his footwear, but that is a four-cent card. Saberhagen was a good pitcher. Yeah, well, he's a. I think he was. I would list him as a dominant pitcher in the uh, late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, he was one of the better pitchers out there for sure. Uh, I just saw the uh, the head of this guy, and I knew who it was immediately. He's got a mustache. He's got real stirrups. Catcher. For the Atlanta Braves, Ozzie Virgil. Wow, I remember Ozzie Virgil, but I don't know about him. I remember the name being mentioned. Yeah, I, I remember his face more than more than anything else. But I think he was he was still on the Braves right about when we got basic cable. So <laughs> that's right. He was one of those guys that I, I remember seeing. Um, but that's a good uh, that's a spring training picture right there. Interesting, but that is a two cent card for you. Next, uh, another catcher, Lance Parrish. Hey, I wonder if he caught any games in the eighties. I wonder. I wonder if he caught seventeen hundred and forty-eight games between eighty and nineteen ninety-nine. Uh, well, I guess we'll never know. Um, Good-looking card, though. No mustache. I can't see his stirrups. Uh, this was his first year with the Phillies. Came up in seventy-seven with the Tigers. Played through. Played through uh, 86 with them. Had a career average at this point of 281. Not bad. Not bad. Kept him in the lineup every day. Yep. Uh, we've talked about this pitcher before. Pitcher at this point for the Texas Rangers, Bobby Witt. Bobby Witt, whose son is a big-time prospect right now. Yep, because we talk about that every every time we get a Bobby Witt card. Right. <laughs> so let's see if he might have had some value at this point. Nope, he did not, but he uh, does have some real stirrups in that picture, so that's one cent for you. Next, I remember this guy. Not 
not a great player, but uh, was was helpful, I guess, in the lineup. Luis Salazar, shortstop for the San Diego Padres. Did you say salad bar? Uh, I did not. I said Salazar. Oh, yeah. It kind of had a little weird sound to it there. My apologies. <laughs> um, not much going on here except for some real stirrups and a, and a mustache. I remember he's kind of uh, not... I guess he was an everyday shortstop for the Padres in the early 80s, but at this point he was more of just a role player. Right. That's two cents for you. Next, Bill Wegman, pitcher for the Brewers. Oh, yeah, Wegman. Um, Wasn't he with the Brewers for a good while? Uh, I can't tell you beyond (laughs) 88, but he, uh, he definitely came up with the Brewers. I may be wrong. I don't know. I just remember, I feel like I remember that name. Uh, yeah, I remember that name. His picture on the back, he looks like uh, he's got a square jaw. He's a good-looking man right there. There you go. Congratulations to Mrs. Wegman, I guess. That's uh, <laughs> one cent, though, because he does have the, uh, well, that's a that's a tough one, whether he's got the real stirrups there or not. Yeah. I'm going gonna, gonna to give you credit for that. I'll give you one cent on that one. All right. Uh, next, we've got uh, lefty pitcher for the Oakland Athletics. This guy, I remember him more. He had a great, some great years with the uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. Jose Rijo. Oh man, friend of the show, Jose Rijo. I, I'm not going to rehash the story again, but yes, one of my best pieces of memorabilia growing up was Jose <laughs> Rijo's television. <laughs> so that is a one cent card for the real stirrups. Um, I can't tell if he's got a mustache or not. He generally did, but I can't tell there. Next. Oh, boy. I, I swear, every pack from the 1980s, late 80s, has a Randy St. Clair card in it. <laughs> yeah. Every yes. single one of them. There's uh, a few definitely, definitely real real stirrups, though. Uh, he's got the, not just stirrups where you see the, you know, the sides. You see the whole, you see a lot of color in there. Yeah, he knew how to dress. He knew how to, he knew how to wear those things. But uh, that is a one cent card. So you like me started out with the with a big money card in terms of seven right. cents. After that, just kind of chipping away. A leadoff Ricky Henderson home run, and then a bunch of singles. Yep. Next, we've got Willie Frazier, pitcher for the Angels, uh, sporting a mustache and real stirrups. Uh, I think that's going to be the only value you get out of that one. But again, that's two cents. Uh, here we go, Rick Aguilera. This picture taken at Old Candlestick. Uh, Aguilera wearing some real stirrups. He was a he was a good uh, reliever. He stayed in that Mets bullpen for quite some time. Yeah, he seemed. Or if I bullpen. remember correctly, he was around for quite a while. He he was a good pitcher. Yeah, he was a starter, not bullpen. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right. At this point, he had uh, played in the big leagues for three years. He came up in '85 with a 3.59 ERA. Not bad. So yeah, he was uh, he was pretty good. Bill Long. Pitcher for the uh, Chicago White Sox. Don't know a single thing about Bill. No, Long. not no clue. Uh, real stirrups and a mustache, though. Score is good for this stirrups uh, rule because they do a lot of uh, full body shots on the front. Right. Next, we have got uh, pitcher for the Red Sox. Never heard of this guy, Jeff Sellers. Jeff Sellers sounds okay. Sellers with an S or a C? S. Because that'd be awesome if it was cellars like wine cellars, but uh, no, I have no recollection of that either. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who this cat is, but uh, he's got some real stirrups on. 
Uh, That does bring your total to 27 cents right now. So you are two cents behind. You've got three cards left. Ooh, ooh, I need to clutch it. Uh, This one's not going to help you at all. Uh, David Engel, catcher for the Expos, even though, again, here he has got a first baseman's glove and is uh, playing first base. Can't see his uh, feet, so don't know if he's wearing stirrups or not, but uh, that's going to not get you anything. No, it's worthless. Oh, here we go. Eric Kerplunk, pitcher <laughs> for the Oakland A's. Eric Plunk, big dude. Big dude yeah. throw hard. Yeah, I mean, just looking at this picture, you can tell he's got shoulders that are... Yeah. I mean, he looks like kind of kind of looks like Jose Canseco from the torso to the neck. Yeah, but taller. I remember him from Tacoma. He's just a big man. That is a big man. He has got some nice real stirrups on there. Uh, I can't tell if he's got a mustache or not. I, I know he usually did, and he does on the back, but I can't tell there. Uh, Eric Plunk was 6'5", 210. Yeah, wow. That, uh, that is a big guy. So that's one cent. So that brings your total to 28 cents, going into your final card, one cent behind. And uh, you get Mike Bilecki pitcher for the pirates now mike does not have a mustache mike is wearing real stirrups Uh the question here is does mike have any value i'm truly doubting that i am doubting it as well let's see card number 611 pull it up here and he does not so man with that you will get one cent for the stirrups and you get a 29 cent pack. And we uh, have just uh, made out with our sisters, apparently. Oh, that's a terrible way to put it. But yeah. yes, yes, a tie, which, you know, it, there's no tying in baseball. But um, we haven't ever set up a tiebreaker. So I guess we just counted a tie. There is apparently, though, tying in Wax Packs Heroes. Apparently so. So let's uh, take a look at the standings board with that tie, because we have had ties in the past. Uh, that is our fourth tie, actually. So oh, wow. leaderboard now is I'm still leading uh, nine to eight, but we do have four ties. Virtual handshake. Well done. That's on the back. Orange slices all around. That's right. <laughs> there you go. All right. So that will uh, do it for this week's Wax Packs Hero. Uh, I did want to take one minute here before we wrap up the show. Uh, it is the new year, and uh, a lot of time uh, people will tell uh you know, tell people what they're thankful for. So I thought we would do so. Uh, Of course, first of all, we are thankful as always to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you uh, downloading and listening to us every week, as well as interacting with us on social media. I thought it might also be fun just to give a shout out to some of the other baseball podcasts that uh, we listen to because Um, You know, there are a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of baseball podcasts out there, and uh, we've become very friendly with some of them, and there are some that are just good podcasts out there, uh, baseball and otherwise, that, you know, if you have some time, you're looking for some new podcasts, I just wanted to give a shout out to some some other ones in no particular order here. Uh, Some of these have been guests, we've mentioned some of these before, but I want to give a shout out to the Turner Pair Baseball Podcast. No Crying in Baseball, Juicing the Numbers, High and Inside, Diamonds and Roses, Tipping Pitches, Effectively Wild, Baseball Beyond Batting Average, Baseball by the Book, 
Doman Bedlam, the Hanshin Tigers English News, the 20th Century Movie Club, the This Week in Baseball History, Wax Ecstatic, Bat Flips and Nerds, and Ball Caps and Bagpipes, to name just a few of them. I'm going to put all of these in our show notes, along with links if you want to give any of these a listen to if you haven't before. Uh, those are some good ones to get some good uh, baseball information on something a little bit different than what we do uh, on a lot of them. But just wanted to say thank you to our listeners as well as all the other podcast uh, content providers out there. Um, I know it takes a lot of time and effort to do some of these shows. So just wanted to say hey to all those guys as well. Cool. Uh, Mark, uh, if uh, people want to follow us, maybe talk with us on social media, they can do that. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, as I mentioned, we also put, uh, when I have time, we put these Wax Packs Heroes on YouTube. You can find all of those links in our show notes as well. And Mark, I had a good time. We are getting so close to episode number 50. Do you think we should keep doing this? Um, you know, yeah, I think we should. You went away there, so I'm going to assume I... that you meant yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, I, I think it sounds like a good idea to do another. Why not? Why not? All right. Well, you know what we should also do? We should do something special for episode 50. Okay, sounds good. And when, when I mean special, I mean something that really is special to me. <laughs> Probably more <laughs> than other people. But on episode 50, I think we're going to dedicate it to Ricky Henderson. And we're just right going to do Ricky Henderson. So I want you to start digging up some Ricky Henderson facts okay. that you can bring to the table. And I will run us through the life and career of Mr. Uh, Ricky Henley Lee Henderson. And... Uh, just talk about my favorite player. We did uh, we did Nolan Ryan when we got to show number 34 for you. Yep. We did not have the insight to do Ricky Henderson when we got to show number 24. So we're going to we're going to save it for a special episode like number 50. But uh, beyond that, thank you everybody for listening to us once again. For Mark A Johnson, I'm Jeff and we will see you next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 